Welcome to the Make Light Show, the podcast that's all about curating meaning and joy in a light-filled life and part of the Life Listened Podcast Network. I'm Karen Walwood, photographer, storyteller, and author of The Beauty of Different, Observations of a Confident Misfit, and Make Light, stories of bright sparks, slow burns, and thriving out loud. Join me as I speak with light seekers and light makers from around the world, learning all about how they live with intention and a sense of adventure. It's proof that positivity, creativity, and kindness make the world go round. I'm beyond thrilled to have my very dear friend Lori Smithwick joining me today. Lori is a designer, artist, and speaker, and idea maker, and one of the most creative people I know. After spending many years as an award-winning graphic designer, she decided to step away from her screens to reconnect with what it was that really made her happy. And it turns out that the commitment to take a little screen sabbatical was the key to discovering her joy. So join Lori and I today as we talk about how she curated her designer life, what she learned when she stepped away from her screen, and how she earned a Grammy nomination for her work. So, Lori Smithwick, hello. Hello. I am so happy you're here. I am thrilled to be here. I can I am so happy you asked me to join you. I love your show and I'm just super excited to be here. Well, you know, it's so funny as I was thinking, uh, you know, kind of preparing for this, I was thinking about when we met and I always like I think about that every single time I have a guest on the show. And usually I'm like, God, I don't even remember when we met, but I totally remember when I met you. Do you remember when we met? I totally do. Is it, am I right? Is it, was it at our friend Laura Mays' Christmas party? It, it was, it was, it was at Laura Mays' house at a party that Catherine yep. Center read right. from her new, her new manuscript or published novel. I can't remember what stage it was at. That's right. Yes. I just remember you came up to me in your forthright, earnest way. And I was like, <laughs> I love this woman. Like, I, <laughs> I, I don't even know what her background is. I just totally love you. But like, it's so funny. Like, I totally remember standing there and you coming up and me and introducing yourself to me. And I will never forget it. Well, and you know, a big part of why there is no way in the world I would not have introduced myself to you um, is that um, Laura Mays and I met because of you. We met in the Love Thursday world. Oh, wow. That's, yeah, so that's a back, blast of the past. <laughs> right. So back when there were like, what, like 150 of us blogging, you know, <laughs> you, at least last century, <laughs> right. You and, and, and Irene were doing love Thursday and right. I loved love Thursday and Laura Mays did too. And back in those days, the way we were doing it is we were writing a blog post on our own blog and then posting a link to it on your blog. That's right. And Laura and I were going through those posts, going to see other people's love Thursday posts as we were (laughs) supposed to do. And we found each other and had one of those, Oh my gosh, I love you moments. Right. Right. And, 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 and have been friends ever since. And as you know, you know, that meeting partners, exactly. That meeting launched a whole world. So yeah, it totally did. Yeah. My meeting you was necessary. (laughs) I love that. So, and okay. So for those of you who are not familiar with the amazing Lori Smithwick, she is a designer. She's an artist. She calls herself an idea person, which is so awesome and so true. Um, and one of my favorite designers in life for sure. So let's start with that. I, 
I know that's your education. I know you went to Parsons, but your undergraduate wasn't design, right? Is, that's is that right. right. It is. So right. How, yes. how did you go? You were at Duke. How did you go from, I don't even know what your major was at Duke to becoming a designer? So actually I, um, was, I was born a designer. Um, pretty, pretty, pretty decidedly was born a graphic designer. And, and what I mean by that is that as a child, I always loved art. I always loved making things. I had a very, very creative mom who was always drawing with us and painting with us and writing stories Mm. with us. And I loved that. But what I always loved to do, I can now look back and see is anything having to do with design. I loved drawing with rulers. I loved making posters with typefaces. I loved like what I was doing as a little kid was graphic design when I didn't know that there was a name for that. Right. And then at age 12 is when I learned that there was a career called art direction or graphic design. It was really called art direction back then. The term graphic design sort of came about a little bit later. And um, but I found myself in an art director studio suddenly looking around going, oh, my gosh, I want to spend the rest of my life here. So I've known college for that. I didn't. I knew at a very young age that I was gonna, that I wanted to be a graphic designer. However, I had this incredible opportunity to go to undergrad at a really strong liberal arts college, and um, and I really liked learning and writing and reading and studying. I was a I was a student, and so mm-hmm. I took that opportunity to go to Duke for undergrad, where I was an English major with a creative writing focus. And I made Duke did not have a very strong art department back then. They basically had drawing classes, color theory classes, and a couple of painting classes. And after I exhausted those, I just found (laughs) ways to be a graphic designer all around campus. So like the fraternities and sororities would come to me to design t-shirts for their events. And I designed all the publicity flyers for an open mic night at the campus coffee house. Whoa, and wait, I worked, wait, stop, 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 stop. How yeah. the hell did they know that you were the person to do this? Like, how did that I happen? just, probably I did it for one person and somebody, and somebody saw it and said, who did that? I want to get that person. And then, Mm. you know, it's a Duke is a small school. There are only about 1500 kids per class. And so it, you know, if you're, it was, I got to be a big fish in a small pond there by focusing on something that just wasn't even a thing there yet. And yet it was needed, right? The world needed graphic designers, but they didn't know that yet at Duke. So I took all of that stuff that I created at Duke, right? All of those t-shirt designs and all the stuff I did up at the newspaper and all of those flyers that I did for the coffee house. And that became my portfolio to apply for the program at Parsons School of Design, which is what I did after Duke. Okay. But wait, stop. So how did you know what kind of portfolio, what, what would work? Like, how did you know, okay, this is what I've done. And I know that how to curate what the portfolio will look like so that I can apply to, I mean, I would imagine Parsons has got a pretty, like that's some pretty stiff competition, right? Like there's a lot of other kids that have put, are art majors and all that other stuff. How did yeah, you know I to think, do that? 
I think I benefited from ignorance and, um, and, and probably by having been a big fish in a small pond, I would probably was benefiting from, um, you know, overconfidence also. I, I mean, I think I just, I just thought, well, so this is what I'm going to do next. I want to go to Parsons. So I need a portfolio. Well, I've got all this art that I'd made in school and, you know, I don't want to go to Parsons to be a painter. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do painting stuff. I'm not going to do drawing stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to show the, the, layouts I did for the newspaper. I'm going to show, you know, I've got, I did these flyers for this, um, coffee house event for two solid years, every single week. So I had over a hundred flyer designs to, to choose from. And, and, um, and I think just was able to present myself as an information designer and Mm. somehow it worked, you know, I, I'm not sure how I knew. I don't think I did. I think I just kind of did it and got in. So you didn't have like like an art mentor that could, that could tell you this works, this doesn't work or anything like that. You just did it. I, I just kind of did it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. I did it, I guess, like I said, I, I wanted to do it. And so I didn't realize that there was a reason I couldn't do it. So I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love it. And it must be said, you're really good at it. You were nominated for a Grammy. I was nominated for a Grammy. That was really cool. I was working at a great small design firm at that point. I had been working in the music industry um, for three so this years. Is after that was Parsons. Mm-hmm. After I graduated from Parsons, I got a job at GRP Records, which uh, which is which is now part of. They got absorbed into Verve Records, so okay, they were yeah, one yeah. of the foremost jazz labels back then. We did a lot of reissue, so all the Impulse label, which was John Cole trains jazz label, for example, right. we did all of that. It was, it was a pretty, it was a pretty neat, small label to work at. It was a, it was a very small group of us there. I worked there for three years and then went to work for a small design studio in New York city that, that was made up entirely of music industry expats. We were all refugees uh-huh. from the music industry and, um, still wanted to be doing design, but didn't want to be working at a record label anymore. So how, and, does, but how, how does a designer get a Grammy though? Yeah. And so the, what, it, what, what happened was, you know, this was, this was in the era of CDs. And so music design was still a big deal. Um, okay. it, 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 it hadn't shifted entirely to video yet. I mean, video was just another component of a musician's, you know, armory and, um, and it hadn't gone digital at all. There was no such thing as digital. And so we were still producing music packaging for every single CD that came out. And what happened was art departments within labels couldn't handle all the work. And so we got fed to, uh, you know, the record labels all over, New York city farmed their work out to us. And so our little design studio was doing work for Electra and Atlantic records and Capitol records. And like, you name the record label Island records, we were doing work for them. That's amazing. And so I got to work on this CD package that was for a really small label that did mostly world music, world beat music. And he, the owner of the label had gone to Cuba and this was before Buena Vista social club, the year before Buena Vista social club. And the owner of this label had gone to Cuba and done a ton of research and recording of music and digging through archives and took a ton of photos and got a lot of 
old archive photos and put together a CD package called Cuba. I am time and hired our firm to our design firm to design it. And I was the lead designer on the project. And we created a, it was a box set and we, I created a cigar box for the box of CDs. Oh, that's brilliant. (laughs) So it's, it's, it's as literal a cigar box as you can have without actually containing any cigars. Um, but like the, the booklet is a photograph of a lineup of cigars. So when you open the box, it looks like cigars in there. And that's what uh, I was nominated for a Grammy for. Someone saw it and nominated it. So you didn't even apply for it yourself. No, you can't do that. You have to be nominated. That's so cool. So, so does that still happen? Like are, are designers still um, eligible for Grammy awards? They, you know? they like, are. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those are awards, you know, when they say at a ceremony held earlier this evening, <laughs> that's, uh, that's where that award happens. Well, that is awesome. And I know, I, I mean, you had told me offline that you were at the, um, you were at the ceremony where uh, Aretha Franklin sang, um, what was that? Nessun Dorma, right? Which yes. Pavarotti had a sore throat. Exactly. Right. Pavarotti called him with a sore throat uh, and they got Aretha to come in. Oh, uh, that's my favorite performance of a, a, a I can't believe you were there. It was um, amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Another strong memory I have of that night was, um, those, that was in the Erica Badu era and, <gasps> yes. and she changed her head wrap a number of times during the night. And, uh, because there were crowd shots of her, I think maybe she won an award and then she was also maybe presenting. And so throughout the night, you were sort of tracking Erica moving around the <laughs> theater. <laughs> the different Based on, on her different hat ties. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's just a really strong memory of that night for me is seeing her floating around. That is so awesome. Okay, so, so you clearly were a success as a designer, for sure. You eventually went back to North Carolina, opened your own um, boutique firm that was doing beautiful stuff, which is... When I met you, that's what you were doing. And then you suddenly decided not too long ago to step away from your screens. That is right. I did that. Tell me about that. What, what, what brought that on the idea of stepping away from your screen to make something? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, what, what happened was I was working and running uh, leap design was the name of my studio. And, um, it was a joint business, uh, that I owned with my husband, Bob, who's a web developer. And we were, a you know, full service graphic and web design studio and things were going great. We had employees and we had a lot of clients and we were well known and, and life was good. And it, or so it seemed. And one day, uh, he and I were taking what we often, what we called a partner walk. Um, he and I during lunch sometimes would just leave the office and go for a walk and talk about business. And this was not my intention. I didn't know this was going to happen, but while we were walking, I suddenly heard myself telling him that I hated being a graphic designer and that I didn't want to do it anymore. And that was shocking to me, to him, to you. When I told you about it, when it happened, it was shocking to everybody involved. Um, the business was built around me. It was my business that we turned into, you know, leap design Inc. And I, I didn't want to be a part of it anymore. And there are a lot of reasons why that happened. Um, we don't need to get into that. That has since been dealt with and I'm, 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 I'm doing great. Life is good as a, as a, as a post graphic designer. 
Right. What it did, though, was it set up this need where I needed to figure out what to do to be happy, because Mm. the fact was I owned a business with my husband, with employees, with clients. So just because I woke up one day and said, I don't want to do this anymore, that wasn't the end. It wasn't, it wasn't the end and it wasn't the beginning. I mean, nothing changed that day except my awareness of what I was feeling. I still had to go to work every day and be a graphic designer for a living until we figured out a way for me to do something else. And so since that was an unchangeable force, what I realized is I needed to change something else. And what I came to realize, actually, I'm going to bring up, you know, the wonderful Laura Mays' name again. We were actually in New York City uh, at at uh, Alt Summit at Alt New York and went out afterwards for a drink. And we were talking and I was telling her what was going on and what I was realizing. just, just Just for people to understand, Alt Summit is a conference that is for designers generally, right? So it's sort of right. creative entrepreneurs. So exactly. just, just to provide that context. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So we were at this creative conference where I was, you know, seeing all these other people do super creative stuff and feeling like I was still trapped in this world that I didn't, I was realizing I didn't want to be in. I was telling Laura all about it. And, and what I had come to realize was that this was, this was like in, Oh, to give you some context, it was maybe 2010, 2009, 2010, 11, somewhere in that range. I'm not hundred percent sure. And, but the point being that this was the point when our iPhones and iPads were beginning to take over our lives. all of us. And, and Netflix was a thing now and people were starting to watch TV on Amazon. And, you know, the internet had just become a million times bigger than it had been for a long time. Um, and what I was coming to realize was that I was spending the majority of my day on some sort of screen. I was getting up and going to work in the morning and sitting down at my computer where you work as a graphic designer. And I would work the whole day at my computer. And then I would come home and take care of kids, make dinner and feed kids and help with homework and put kids to bed. And then I would sit down on the sofa. We would turn on the TV and I would have some device on my lap, be it a laptop or an iPad or a phone. I mean, everybody has the same story just about, you know, we just were all connected all the time. And I realized that one of the things that I wasn't doing anymore was making things just for me. I wasn't Mm -hmm. creating for my purposes. I was creating as a graphic designer for other people's purposes. They would call and need a logo and I would design it for them. And I was taking care of my family and, and, and being a wife and a mom, but I wasn't being an artist. I wasn't making things. And Mm -hmm. so I decided that because I couldn't leave my job, what I needed to do was take back some of my time, right? I didn't have Maxine Waters to give me the line back then, but I was exactly that. I was, I was reclaiming my time. I had given it all to work in my family and my screens. And the only one of those that couldn't, that, 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 that had um, room to give was screens. And so I committed at that point to 
uh, trying to, I, the, 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 the way I said it to myself was I need to step away from the screen and make things. Right. Right. You know, it's so funny as you're talking, um, you introduced me at, at one of these all summits to the great designers, um, Stefan Sagmeister. Mm -hmm. Um, who was a a keynote speaker at one of the things. And he talked about the necessity of taking a sabbatical. Like he closes up, I guess his studio every seven years and, and just goes away and just, and creates right. Just for himself. Um, Does that, is that really what you were feeling? Was it sort of like, um, like rekindling your love of making um, without having the uh, pressure of other people's expectations for what you produced? Is, is that part of it? That was a big part of it. It was, it okay. was, it really was making just for the sake of making. That's what I had stopped mm-hmm. doing. I mean, when I was a kid, I was always making things, you know, and mm-hmm. I was, I was, <clears throat> I was, um, like, I can remember when I was, when I was, I don't remember how old I was, maybe 13. Um, my parents gave me a linoleum block uh, printing kit for a birthday right, yeah, or, yeah. or Hanukkah or Christmas or something. And, um, and my memory of that was getting it and staying up all night, figuring mm-hmm. out how to do it. And the next morning greeting everybody downstairs with this set of blocks that I had, that I had, or this set of <laughs> block prints that I had figured Prince, out how yeah. to make, you know? <laughs> right. Right. So, um, so what were, what were some of the things you created when you've decided to step away and create for yourself? Um, so, uh, I, what I did is I came up with a structure for it. I decided I couldn't just, I couldn't leave it to chance. It felt too important. It felt like I was really struggling with being unhappy and I needed to fix that. That was my number one. And I was Mm -hmm. putting all my eggs in the basket of making things and being creative and working with my hands in a way that I hadn't been doing enough was going to fix it or at least make me feel a little bit better. And I couldn't leave it to, 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 um, to, I couldn't trust myself not to procrastinate or put it off the same way I had already shelved it years before, right? It had already taken a backseat to everything else. And so what I did is I created a mission for myself and, um, I viewed it, I I viewed it as my own personal 12 step program. Um, I was a screen addict and I needed to cure myself. And so what I did is I gave myself 12 months and I had to make 12 things at a minimum in 12 months that had no relationship with the screen whatsoever. None of the projects could have any portion of them done on a screen. It all had to be done by hand. So no printing something out and using that, you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. 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 And I, um, I created a ton of stuff. It, it absolutely worked this project that I, that I created for myself. Um, and one other thing that I did was, um, was, uh, I also gave myself a design project to do, um, because I did work every day in front of a computer. I wasn't, I wasn't going to stop being in front of screens just because I had this mission. I still had to sit in front of a computer every day while I worked. So I decided I wanted to carve out a little bit of that time. And I gave myself the goal of designing the words, step away from the screen and make something every day. And my goal with that was to keep that mission 
top of mind so that I couldn't forget about it. Right. So tell me what are the, some of the things that you made with your hands that had nothing to do with this? Yes. Yeah, so, so some of the things that I made with my hands were, I had a clock that had been given to me when my daughters were born. That was very baby nursery. It like had a teddy bear riding a rocking horse or something. And it just didn't match our world anymore. My kids were, were, you know, in middle school at this point. And so I painted the clock and completely redesigned it into this very neat looking mod clock that I now have. Nice. Um, so painted it, you know, and, and, and completely refurbished it. And then, um, what else did I do? I, uh, my daughter Lucy made this little drawing that was a picture of a a girl with her arms swinging. And it was just this little pencil drawing on a piece of, on a corner of a piece of notebook paper. And I loved it. And this little piece of paper was floating around and I was afraid I was going to lose it. So I ended up cutting a piece of wood and mod podging the little drawing onto a piece of wood with some paint around it. And now it's this little preserved piece of artwork of my daughters that I, that I, that I made. So some of them were very little. Yes. Yes. Another thing is I bought, a. a, uh, I really wanted a coat rack in my house, um, like a freestanding old style coat rack. And I found one very inexpensively at a thrift store and it was brass and, you know, all like not real brass. And it was, it was a mess. It was (laughs) dented and the brass was all crackling and, and I sanded it down and spray painted it a great color. And now we have this cool spray painted coat rack in our house. It wasn't big stuff. It was just, I had to make something start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. And then but some um, of it was where like your, your staircase, I remember you, yes. your staircase was something yes. that you did, right? That was um, something I did. I came up with our family's house rules and we don't have any, we don't have a lot of walls in our house. Our, um, it's a very open floor plan and all our walls are pretty covered. And, um, and I realized that our staircase actually just comes right up out of the middle of our living room. So it's right. as though that's a wall. And so what I did is I, um, I, I created one house rule for every step and our house rules run all the way up our staircase, which I love. It's one of my yeah. favorite things. I love it's that. It's pretty cool. Um, So, so what would you say are some of the biggest meth like lessons that stepping away from the screen, that 12 month process, like what did you come away with that you learned about yourself or about the process of stepping away from the screen? The number one thing that I learned about myself is that I'm a lot happier when I'm making things, when I'm, when I'm making art, when I'm creating something it, it fixes my whole day. It's like somebody mm. who has a, a strong, uh, meditation practice. They feel like their day is incomplete without it. Or somebody who exercises every day, they, they, they just don't feel as good when they don't do it. That's me with making things. Mm. I'm a lot happier if I make something as often as possible. My goal is every day. I don't always achieve it, but that's, that's always the goal. So that was the biggest thing that I figured out about myself. And the other was that that actually turned out to be my ticket out of being a graphic designer that, um, that the, I found that the more I talked about this project that I was doing, um, well, and actually that's a funny sidebar. What I discovered during this year of stepping away from the screen and making things is that, um, anytime I would run into somebody and they would say, Hey, how you doing? 
instead of answering how work was or how my kids were, which is often the way we answer that question, we as moms and adults, right? We generally choose one of those two. I found I wanted to talk about this thing I was doing, this step away from the screen and make something a project. And what I found was that it was never a short conversation. It was the sort of thing, <laughs> this concept had not yet reached the zeitgeist, this, this, um, this screen fatigue that I was already feeling. The rest of the world wasn't quite in tune with that yet. And I found that anytime I spoke to somebody about it, they were like, Oh man. Yeah. I feel like I'm chained to those screens, you know? And it was like, I felt like I was, um, I was, I was, you know, being sort of like a Pied Piper in a way, like saying, you know, you, you should do it too. Step away from the screen and, (laughs) you know, figure out what makes you happy for me. It's making things for you. It might be reading or playing music or going for a run or whatever, but you know, commit to doing it. And yeah. And so that, um, really kind of led me to say the, 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 the world is looking for motivation to, um, to do the things that they love to do that have gotten squeezed out of their life. And I found myself kind of being a little bit of a, a a little bit of a, you know, I don't know, a proselytizer during that period of time of, of, you know, just working hard to get this message out and saying to people, stop being on your screen so much. Let's, let's do other stuff. And one of the things that I that I loved that sort of evolved from this is that you would start doing these sort of community things where people would create a bit of art together. Um, yes, I, which I think is just so brilliant. Like it's a lovely way to kind of get people in in commune with each other and and res- use their hands to create something. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. The the first opportunity I had to do that was once again at Alt Summit. Um, and um, they asked me if I would create some sort of a participatory art project that we could have in one of the break rooms for people to do when they were in between sessions and, you know, milling about. And so the idea that I came up with was a big wall. It was, um, it was eight feet tall by 12 feet wide. And the wall was covered with a giant sheet of white vinyl that had little tiny black letters all over it in a, in, in, in a no apparent order. Right. And each of the letters corresponded to a colored dot sticker. Okay. And, um, And, uh, what you would do is you would come up to the wall and you would like grab a handful of red dot stickers and you would find all the R's on the wall and stick red stickers on all the R's and blue stickers on all the B's and yellow stickers on all the Y's and so on and so forth. And, and what it was, was I had created a design that was like a color by number, a paint by number. And once all the dots had been placed, it was a big piece of art that, 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 uh, that was predetermined. And what worked so well about that project over the course of two days is that there was no barrier to entry for people to make something. I wasn't asking people to draw or paint or have an idea, which is a great thing to do. I'm not saying don't do those things. But when you're at a conference, you don't necessarily want to put down your armfuls of stuff and sit there and think about what you want to paint while people are watching you. Right. That that can be a little nerve wracking. 
And what this did is all you had to do was stick a sticker. It was, right. there was no so thinking required. And yet it still felt like you were being creative. It felt like you were making something. And more often than not, rather than somebody just walking up and sticking a sticker, right? A single sticker <laughs> more often than not is people were camping out there, you know, like they would just take the whole <laughs> roll of red and say, I'm going to find every last R on this board and I'm not leaving until I do, you know, well, this eight foot by 12 foot sheet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the stickers were one inch round stickers. So it took a That's lot awesome. of stickers. It was like 20,000 stickers all told. Amazing. Right. Amazing. And, and it was neat being the observer of this because like you would watch people, two people would be standing next to each other for a period of time working on their respective areas. And all of a sudden I would see them introduce themselves to one another, you right, know, right. and, and, um, and, uh, and then people were coming back in throughout the day to check in on it and see if more had, had developed and maybe could we begin to tell what the art was. There was a bit of a, you know, a big reveal to it. And it just felt like a really strong community that we worked together to make this big thing. It was very triumphant feeling. Yeah. I mean, I loved watching it. I didn't actually put any stickers on it, but I loved, I was there at that conference and I loved watching it emerge and watching the energy around it. It was amazing. It was, um, it it is my goal to one day put a sticker on one of your vinyl sheets. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll do it. We'll make sure that happens. We'll have to do it. Okay. So, so I have to admit that listening to you, I am completely like you. I'm totally addicted to my screens. I'm not a huge television watcher, but I am constantly on a laptop or something, you know, surfing the web. So if I decided, you know what, it's time for me to step away from the screen a little bit or to start really figuring out what turns me on that's away from the screen, what kind of advice do you give to somebody who's just starting to do that? Yeah, that is such a good question. You know, I think one of the really important pieces of it is not to, is not to make screens out to be the bad guy, right? Like screens are really awesome. I love TV, right? (laughs) Right? There are some really amazing shows on TV. I am not a kill your television kind of person. I got to be, you know, this is not me saying screens are evil, get away from them. And I think that's an important piece of it. You can't, you can't criminalize it because then it becomes this forbidden fruit thing. And, um, and, and you, that doesn't work. I mean, I think what you need to do is say screens are awesome, but I just don't need to spend so much time doing them. And Mm -hmm. for me, what worked so well was realizing that there was this thing that I really loved to do that I wasn't doing as much anymore. And Mm -hmm. so I might suggest, is there something you used to do in your life before screens or before you had a family or before you had a full-time job that you loved to do that you realize you don't do as much anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And it could be reading. It could be sitting and listening to music without doing anything else at the same time. It could be taking a walk in nature. It could be calling a friend on the phone. Right. I mean, anything that you used to do that gave you pleasure that you realize you don't do anymore. Everybody has something that fits that category. Yeah. Yeah. And then what you do is you just make a commitment to yourself to do that more. And I highly recommend coming up with some sort of rules that enables you to have a structure around it to keep you accountable. Right. Right. 
wow, it sounds like I need to start getting more books. <laughs> I think that's I a big one, more. right? I mean, yeah. that's that's something I think every one of us used to do yeah. a lot more than we do now. I used now. to love to read, yeah. Uh-huh. I used to love, uh-huh. and, I, I, and I'm actually very anti-reader because I love the smell of a book, like when you crack the binding, like I love Definitely. that. Definitely, so yes. That's my thing. I'm going to do that. All right, so what's next for you? What is, what is next on your horizon? What new projects are you working on? So I am exploring life right now as a painter. Um, I am really, really loving painting these mixed media watercolors. So the base is watercolor, but there's other stuff going on in them. And they're a really, they're really interesting representation of me, which is a blend of rules and laissez-faire, right? There's, there's a whole lot of free flowing stuff going on. And then also some rigidity. And I feel like that's kind of the essence of who I am as a person. Um, and so that's my current favorite, favorite thing is is that's, and that's my making that I'm doing these days is I'm a happier person if I paint every single day. That's awesome. So I'm doing a lot of that. And then I'm also, I've evolved the concept of step away from the screen and make something into a new project that I'm working on that I'm calling make club. So, uh, it's make club is just like a book club, except oh. it's for people who like to make things. And so we've, we have formed a group, right? We started with one group and some other offshoot groups are forming. And basically every month you're given an assignment, just like you're told what book you have to read each month in book club. And the assignments are really loose and open-ended, right? Like make something blue or, or, uh, you know, right. What do you wish you, what do you hope you never forget? That might be one of the prompts right? Really loose, open-ended. And you, all the people in the group make something over the course of the month. And then we come together at make club and show the work that we made over the course of that month and talk about the concept, talk about our process. It's, it turns out that everybody is very encouraging and has ideas. Like, you know, some people come and they say, I've gotten this far, but this didn't seem to be working. I'm not sure what to do. People can come with suggestions. We drink wine. Everybody. It sounds a little intimidating. Like, do you have to be really artistic to do? Not at all. In fact, my pilot group that I explored this with was, um, I would say only three of us were people who would even self-identify as some form of an artist. Everybody else there would not claim to be an artist. Um, the idea is just make something in a way that works for you. So one of the people at the very first make club made a batch of cookies. Oh, right. Okay. Right. And another person is a writer. And what she did is she realized that she reads magazines all the time. And so what she did is she started making a clip file and turned her clip file into a story. So she started creating a new way of writing a book using clippings that she found from magazines. That's awesome. Everybody did something completely different. Another friend was getting married and was going to be giving her um, all of her attendants uh, um, little um, 
what do you call it? Little fascinators, a little tiny little hats that she was giving everybody. And so that's what she did. It was a thing she was already working on, but she just made that fit one of the make clubs. That is so awesome. Do you have like sort of the parameters of a make club somewhere where people can find that? Because I love yes. this idea. Yes, this is, uh, the information for this is on my website, which is at lauriesmithwick.com. And um, and uh, the idea is that it's almost like a toolkit. So once you decide to do it, you just sort of follow the follow my lead. I mean, obviously you don't need to follow my instructions. You can do it your own way, but this just sort of gives you some tips for, for how to get it going. I love it. I love it. So we'll make sure to have those links in the, in the show notes. Thank you so All right, much. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we are now at the part of our little show where we do a bullet round. All right. And I'm just going to name two things and you pick your favorite of the two things. Okay. Ready? All right. I'm ready. It's easy peasy. Wine or beer? Beer. Okay. Summer or winter? Summer. Analog or digital? Ooh. Uh-huh. Uh, digital. Okay. Dogs or cats? Cats. And mountains or ocean? Oh, that's a tough one. Ocean, I would have to say. But <laughs> I'm you surprised because could... I know you're a big ski- skier. I am a big skier, but I, 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 the ocean is a happy, the beach is a happy place for me. Yeah. Me as well. All right. And then, and then finally two questions that my daughter, Alex makes me ask everybody. Okay. Pandora or Spotify, Spotify and Facebook or Instagram. Facebook. Wow. Okay. And finally, Lori, my sweet friend, what does it mean to thrive? Oh, what a good question. To me, thriving is all about growing and growing in a flourishing way. And a big part of that, I think, is is trusting that moving forward is the right direction, that you have the right to do what you want to do and flourish and grow and change and become, and, and that you have all the tools you need to get wherever you want to go. I love that. My God, I love that. I'm going to put that on repeat right now because there's so (laughs) much change going on in my life. I'm going to need to keep that on repeat. (laughs) Yeah. Change is hard. It is so hard. Yeah. You know, one of my all time favorite quotes is a, is a quote by, I think it's by E.L. Doctorow. Um, he says that, uh, writing is like driving at night. You can only see as much as the headlights illuminate, but you can make the whole journey that way. Yep. Wow. And, and I think that that's what change is all about, right? That's the essence of change. Yeah. I think that's right. That's Mm -hmm. right. Man, Lori, I knew you were the perfect person for this show. I am so glad you joined me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was an honor and a pleasure, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm always inspired when I talk to you. Thanks. Same.
One of the things that I always love about listening to Lori is how everything she says and does, she says and does with such passion. May we all do the same. As always, I'm so grateful to you too for joining me here on the Mate Like Show. If you'd like to find out more about today's guest, Lori Smithwick, and all the amazing things she's created, be sure to check out the show notes at themakelightshow.com. And if you're talking about today's episode on social media, be sure to use hashtag makelightshow so we can find you. I'm Karen Walrand, and I'll be back next week with a new episode. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this show in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. Drive on, friends. Thank you.